there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Right, let's rant. I hate it. And I hate talking. The only thing I hate more than VAR is talking about it which we're about to do again. But we're going to have a bit of fun with this. Uh, Jota, two bookings. First one is harsh, but the second one is stupid. Where will Man United and Chelsea be on the 6th of December? That is a one hell of a question. Theoretically, they could both be in the bottom half. What if we'd had VAR way back when? Simon Oliver says Frank Lampard's goal against Germany. Does that change anything? Handball. On a game! Mind blown. Right? Are we rolling? We're rolling. <laughs> right, okay. Guys, so listen to listen to what I'm about to say to you, right? Okay, I'm in a place that's called Hangover Land, right? And I have a as you guys will know if you watch my YouTube channel, I have like a touchscreen thing. But in my lack of sleep and hangover state, I've just touched my Mac like it's an iPad. My mum scroll it. My mum used to do that. <laughs> right. Uh, I am joined by Ruben. Pinder, who works for The Athletic. We'll have a little chat about that, if that's all right with you. I'd love to know what you're up to. Um, but let's start off with the word of the week, which is ambiguous. Open to more than one interpretation. Can you guess where we're going this week on the podcast? I imagine the title will probably have given it away as well. So, open to more than one interpretation, not having one obvious meaning. Not clear or decided. Appropriate that there are two definitions there for the word ambiguous. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah right? that's really good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So ambiguous, a word that should never be associated with VAR due to the clear and obvious mantra supposedly being followed. But unfortunately, the only clear and obvious thing about VAR is that it's being used incorrectly by people who make too many mistakes because... It's impossible anyway. Anyway, mistakes that VAR was supposed to correct, but instead of solving the issues, it spiralled us into a world of uncertainty and inconsistencies that tarnished the reputation of the Premier League and rile pundits around the world, whilst also drastically altering the course of events within matches. And all you get afterwards is an apology. So we are going to have a look at the weekend the big talking points outside of VAR, Ruben, if that's okay with you. Thank I'd God. imagine it yeah. is. <laughs> imagine it's absolutely fine. Do you want know we should touch on Crystal Palace as well, which is your team? Mm-hmm. Which uh, we, we seem to have a, quite a strong Crystal Palace base to the ripple effect. We have Finn, who is in the background right now, who's a Crystal Palace fan. We've had Daniel, uh, otherwise known as HLTCO, who's been on a couple of times. And now you. I think there's very few podcasts out there that would have such... A plethora of... It's, it's a good return, yeah. South London Mafia taking over. Exactly, exactly. Sorry, my phone might have just gone off there if you had a little bit of rumbling. Um, but the Crystal Palace result kind of got lost in all of this. Yeah. Like the one sort of, one ripple of, of the back of all the chaos. 
and especially me, you know, so with my channel, we're kind of going, we're often having a conversation about what are the tactical um, insights, what's interesting from this week. And I was, you know, all geared up to go, okay, right. I personally, I missed the uh, Spurs-Liverpool game um, because I was uh, away for the weekend. And then I thought, okay, well, I'll catch up. I'll watch it back and we'll see what the tactical elements are. Like it wasn't, it wasn't of use. There was no, no like there was no, cares. nobody cares because obviously the you know the game gets put down to nine men. But for Crystal Palace and, and Man United and Roy Hodgson's record at Old Trafford is unbelievable. It's that first manager to go five, five games unbeaten at Old Trafford, and of course that's across two different spells with wow. the Vieira spell in the middle. Um, but yeah, because in in my head I always had it that we would we always used to lose at Old Trafford. I went there a couple of years ago and we lost 1-0 in Ralph Ranić's first game actually. And it always felt like they were a bit of a bogey team especially with that kind of FA Cup final that lives in the memory. But um under Roy in the last few games that he's overseen there, um we've had uh, the kind of the pandemic games where I think Van Aanholt scored a late winner, Zaha scored a couple of goals in a different one. Um and yeah, this time having just played them in the Carabao Cup and being comprehensively beaten yeah. by a rotated United side, um, I had no hopes for this game. And um, I was sitting in the living room uh, watching G- the Sky Sports as the goal came up and my, uh, next to my dad, who is a Man United fan. So that was really? a really lovely <laughs> moment, yeah. In your face. Right, yeah. um, that's fantastic. So, yeah, that kind of got um, swept under the rug a little bit, the, the good Crystal Palace result there, uh, which was great to see. In this podcast, we will talk about... They are, but we wanted to make it a little bit more fun and obviously put that ripple effect spin on it. So what we'll do is obviously we'll talk about Liverpool and Spurs for as long as we can stand it, I think. And then uh, we wanted to ask you guys, what are the sort of the greatest, is this the right word? Or the worst? Most significant. The most significant um, VR tamperings that have tampered with history so It depends far. which side you're on. Yeah, what else? Bad, because, right? yeah, because why, guys? It's ambiguous. <laughs> but, and, but also, we put together some moments where VAR wasn't obviously a part of it before, you know, it's a bit like before the Premier League or before the internet era. So I want to talk, I'm really excited to talk about at some point things like the England World Cup win. And one, I went down a bit of a like YouTube rabbit hole on the way here. And it was because of the Thierry Henry handball against Ireland, which I know, I'm literally, I know my audience so well. Nando Flynn, there's a guy called Nando who will be going, yes, finally, we're going to be talking about this. 13 years later. Well, yeah, now's the time. Fergal as well. You'll be very excited. So shout out to, to you guys. See, all got knows these people. Uh, Diego Maradona's hand of God. And also just generally, we're just going to see what how the world could have been so different. Um, but let's start off with the weekend and a couple of uh, interesting talking points from that. And actually... Tell people about yourself a little bit more, Ruben, because we met uh, when you were working for Joe, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it was during the 20... It was Euro was 2020 in, yeah. Euro in 2021. Yeah. I hate that. I yeah. wish we could just decide on a year. Could we do 2020 and a half? Too something? expensive to rebrand the tournament. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, and we had a good chat about Gareth Southgate and, uh, and England's sort of um, journey towards, obviously, the final. Um, your journey since then mm. has led you to the Athletic, so... What's going on down there? So, yeah, we obviously we did that show at Joe during the Euros and I continued to make video content um, around football for them. Uh, Vox Pops, interviews, down the camera, explainers, 
whatever you need. Whatever you need. Yeah. Um, and I've since moved on to the athletic, uh, more focusing on news. So um, we're a small team at the moment, kind of adjacent to TIFO. People might be aware of TIFO IRL mm -hmm. and their, their illustrated videos as well. So we kind of work in tandem with them covering the news at the Athletic Report, obviously with their incredibly well-sourced and talented newsroom. And we take those brilliant stories and try to bring them to life in short-form video. Right. So obviously the Athletic is a subscriber um, website, like you, it's behind a paywall. And you do pay for quality, may I add? <laughs> but um, it's but you know for that's a, why mine's free on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> but for a lot of um, for a lot of a, you know for a younger audience, sometimes they that's not how they consume the news. So we yeah. want to get this the same content to them in a different way. So um, that's a very pretentious way of saying that. I stand in front of a camera and make TikToks, um, which also go on YouTube. <laughs> say um, that at the end, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> say, that, say that line at the end. Yeah, so <laughs> the Athletic FC on uh, on all your socials for, for our videos. Okay. And, Joe, one quick ripple effect on your time at the Athletic, because I imagine there's a lot of very intellectual football discourse that goes on. Has it opened your eyes to the game in any way? Um, yeah, well, I, I learn a lot from, from people around me in the office all the time. Um, and you know, think about things in a in a different way, particularly when it comes to like analytics and numbers. Because there's um, there's a very talented like data led team, and then you've got like the TFR or tactical explainers, and quite often they work in tandem. And then we will pluck bits from articles like that just to kind of emphasize certain points, but without trying to alienate people. So it's mm -hmm. um, we're you know we're still I'm still learning that skill of. Um, informing and entertaining and maintaining that, that right balance between the two because it's very easy to get tough, too, too yeah. bogged down in numbers and that can turn people off. But you want people to learn at the same time. So, mm. yeah. Interesting stuff. Okay. So uh, you guys have been introduced to Ruben, which is good. You also um, you had it out with Jamie Carragher the other day. I saw that as well in terms of the VAR. <laughs> I, I have it out. I, I replied it, to it his was, tweet. It was, yeah, <laughs> it was heated. Well, it was on my time now at the very least. Um, We'll get we'll get to that. He didn't reply. Let's do Aston Villa. So Aston Villa, and I've had a couple of tweets this week. People saying, "Where's the Aston Villa video?" I, I was really close to doing one, but I'm not sure I've got time to do it this week. But I'm not sure you would have liked the video that I would have made. Now Aston Villa beat Brighton six one, which is like, where did that come from? But I guess if you look a little bit deeper, those Brighton games are just so open mm. that there's always an opportunity. For for this kind of madness. But generally, you would imagine the madness would be in Brighton's favour. But it seems like two teams, and this would have been the road that we would have gone down, and forgive me because we haven't totally gone down that road, but it feels like the two teams that haven't totally bought the bait of how Brighton play mm. are the two teams that seem to have got the better of them in terms of West Ham and Aston Villa. And so... Here's your ripple effect when it comes to Aston Villa versus Brighton. The six goals Aston Villa scored will become a curse on their strikers. <laughs> Despite the score being 6-1 to Villa, the XG actually looked... And I can hear groans as I'm saying this. The XG actually looked like this. It was Villa, 1.58 goals. 1.58 and they scored six to Brighton's 1.71. So does that mean Brighton are still good and just unlucky? Do we revert to that, that excuse that we would give Brighton... 18 months I mean, yeah, ago, they're, right? not, they're not suddenly terrible. Surely. No, of course. Yeah. Uh, with Villa scoring six goals from only 1.58 XG, does that mean that they've used up all their good karma and are now going to go and, and now someone will now batter them? Or oh, sorry, they will batter someone but lose 1-0. 
It's, you know, the football gods are going to be against them. Next game is go is home to HSK Zrinski Mostar. Great side from Bosnia in the Europa, Europa Conference League. So will they be able to battle against those guys or will it all come and hurt them? What's the truth about Aston Villa here? I think is what I'm getting at. Because I think to win, there's clear quality there. I feel mm. I really love the squad. And at the start of the season, I don't know if you can remember your predictions. I saw, I gave them sixth. Yeah, I put them probably around there as well. Yeah, I put them above Newcastle. I put them above Tottenham. Because um, their form at the back end of last season was, so strong. was amazing. But they were outperforming their XG to a similar extent, not quite to this extent, but last season as well. So it was always, you know, I think everybody could sense that they were always going to eventually regress to somewhere like sixth or seventh. Yeah. Um, they were extremely fortunate in this game, but I'm trying to think, like, none of the goals seemed that fluky. No, you know? you're right. And I think that I think the thing I keep coming back to is how well, and it sounds really obvious, how well they pass the ball out. Because in the games that they've really struggled with that, Newcastle and Liverpool in particular, they've kind of got punished for it. But it it might be one where it's like, but they've absolutely hammered pretty much. Mm. I'm sure I'm probably wrong on this, but most of the other teams that they've played that aren't those top sides. So it's easy to kind of conflate the two and think, oh, okay, they're just not at that level yet. But then they go and beat Brighton 6-1 who are, I, I, I consider, Champions League contenders. Yeah, and I think it's better for Villa in the long run to have the occasional drubbing like they had against Newcastle and then, but to beat everyone that they're meant to beat, you know, like that, yes, that's going to that's gonna be a better season in terms of points. And clearly, like the Newcastle drubbing didn't, um, didn't put them off their, you know, long-term goals and bigger picture and it didn't rattle them too much. It mm. just happened. Um, because Newcastle were also brilliant on the counter-attack. And that high line will occasionally come back to bite them, as you've just mentioned. But um, they were very clever against Brighton because Brighton do that thing where they lure you into a press and try and zip it through you. And Villa didn't really allow them to do that. They mm. pushed them into more uncomfortable areas and didn't let them build up through the middle. So Unai Emery is just a very pragmatic in the true sense of the world and kind of reactive manager. Yeah, and I think that's why he's so good. I think that's why he's so good generally in um, in cup competitions because of that ability to have a plan. But I think on occasion, you might sort of twist with things that you maybe don't need need to. Or I think we're at a stage now, and obviously we're, we're going to do two podcasts today. We're also going to do one talking about Man City and Arsenal. And I think there's there's a similar conversation to have about Man City right now where, of course, and as you know, someone who's in football media, there's always like, there are always these sort of cycles and you're putting things out into the world. And at the start of the season, you're going, this is what could happen. This is, oh, three games in, this is what's definitely happening. And, but actually, I think right now is, is a very awkward time for football media a lot of the time because you don't know, like, you don't know the truth. There's some data, not enough data. There's, and we've seen it. And sometimes clubs have a plan and some things are getting in the way, be it injuries mm -hmm. or teething problems with it. And I think that's one thing with Aston Villa maybe is that is someone like Tyrone Mings is actually far more important than, than we probably gave him credit for. And and it takes a little bit of time to allow those transfers to, to bed in. Yeah, I but, think fans... But we won't know till March yeah, until they're, exactly. if, if they're really that good or not. That's, fans, sorry, fans would agree with the Tyrone Mings point, I think, because I've always been a little bit sceptical of him sort of technically at that level, but... Um, I think last season they had a noticeable difference in form when he didn't play. Yeah. And then when Pau Torres arrived, everyone kind of understandably thought, well, how are they going to coexist? 
but they you know they quite often as they do in midfield play one winger and McGinn on the other side who tucks in in defense they do a similar thing and kind of redress a bounce sort of team like that so there's always ways of of doing it um but yeah predictions are a mugs game like last season we all do them but, because but, yeah, we, have we can't to, escape right? them we can't, can't escape them no yeah, because yeah, exactly. and and it's a natural thing to ponder what's going to happen yeah. but like basically <laughs> this sounds very like defensive it doesn't make you stupid if you get them wrong because right. there's so many random events that happen and that you can't predict but like last season I thought Liverpool were going to challenge for the title and Spurs were going to come third and like you know neither of those things happened it is amazing I said this to someone actually last night so yeah the reason I'm a bit hungover guys is because I was at uh, this uh, event where uh, Ian Wright was being sort of sworn in as a as a legend and I think actually I think Ian Wright's just been on this microphone by the way which you can you can see this microphone exclusively on Spotify uh, if you would like to and I thought it was going to be my moment to finally meet him I've like I've been waiting yeah. to meet him for so long and I've still not practicing what you're going to say in front yeah, of him yeah but and I kind of it's like one of those ones where it's like I sort of when when I lose my Ian Wright meeting virginity I want it to be <laughs> right <laughs> and no it, pun intended yeah I want it to be right with a W and I just felt a little bit like Tonight's not the night. Yeah, because it was like yeah. he it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been the exchange I'd wanted. I mm. want his full because he's too distracted. I want him on the, the podcast, yeah. Ian. If someone can get this clip to you, I'm desperate for you can have this seat. I want the want the ripple effect of the ripple effect is is really the whole aim of it is for me to meet you. Okay, I don't know why I brought that up. Why did I bring that up? Oh yes, because I was chatting to someone over dinner over glasses of wine, and we were talking about the predictions and the fact that say someone like Man United, we were going, before balls kicked, we're like, it's all coming together, isn't it? Mm. And and this idea, uh, these play, all the, the squad players were kind of, we'd kind of blown them up a bit. As in, like, they, were, they were sort of like, so say like, a, how do I explain this? So basically, some players, after a couple of good results, like Mudrick's a good player now. Did you know that? Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas before Handy was Ukraine Bolt. It, yeah, 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 exactly. Before that, he was rubbish. Or, um, I mean, or Man United or Amrabat's the answer. Yeah, and I think he still, I think he still will be the answer in time. We're, we're all just incredibly fickle. Basically. Yeah, yeah. But but when it's when it's going well, your players look better, obviously, right? In our all our minds, and they get sort of pumped up. The mm. chest gets pumped out. Yeah. But then when they get de- literally deflated by a couple of defeats, and and that Man United team and squad manager, it's incredible how. We can't get away from. We can't see the truth. No, it's incredibly <laughs> volatile, isn't it? Like, I just can't see it. Because sometimes they can they can play really well and blow teams away, and you know Rashford will kill teams on the counter attack and everything. Mason Mount, I feel like, is a kind of really good example of that volatility in public opinion. Like, yeah. I think in the cup game against Palace uh, before the league game, he played really well and looked really lively. And interestingly, Bruno Fernandez was not playing in that game. So maybe that does indicate that the plan to have them coexist in front of Casemiro is a problem. But, you know, with their um, complicated situation on the right wing, um, (laughs) Mason Mount could fill in there and leave that midfield to to be a bit more balanced, I think. So there's there's a few different solutions. But, yeah, they're, they're very difficult to work out because there's they're always the story. It's always chaotic, like at boardroom level and. And now this season in the change room as well. So, it and we don't know what the players are like, what kind of state they're in mm. mentally. Because like Rashford has been active but quite wasteful or yes. or a bit unlucky this season. 
Um, Bruno's creating a lot of chances, as he always does, and none of them are going in. Like They're severely underperforming their XG, so you'd assume that they would go back up to that level because these things are meant to work themselves out, but you never know. Well, and do you, Kush, who was the person I was with at dinner yesterday, who made, he made a great point. I said, I'm stealing that, and here I am stealing it. Because I was thinking about, we did, I was chatting to Faisal, who was on the pod last week. Was it last week? No, it was two weeks ago. Sorry, because I was away last week. I had COVID. Um, we do have a bonus episode with Dev Bajwa talking about Ancelotti and how um, he's created the diamond at uh, Real Madrid and how Bellingham is the new caca. Um, but we were talking about, Faisal was talking about I sort of identity a little bit. And he was saying bright, how Brighton can make all those changes and they're still a good side or Postacoglu's kind of come in and able to fix something. And it made me think with what Kush said, Kush said they've got a whole squad full of players that are confidence players. Mm-hmm. And it made me think that actually the best teams in this league. And I think coming back to Villa, I think Villa are a team and a squad who play in a way that they don't really need confidence. Yeah, because think... they, they've always got the plan to fall back on. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And I feel like also kind of maybe maybe it's a bit more personal than that when it comes to Man United, but maybe it has to be as well. We were discussing players like Declan Rice. Like Declan Rice won't, he he will never lose his confidence. No, he's just that, I mean? he's just that type of player. Isn't yeah. yeah. And so, but if you look at this Man United squad, it feels like there's a lot of players there. I think what Ten Hag did brilliantly last year was he sort of brought in sort of that experienced spine to to alleviate the the sort of um the the varied nature of having a squad full of players who sort of have high or low confidence but their inability to kind of revert to the plan mm. or the philosophy that you see when you look at Brighton to a point when you see Villa to a point when you see Newcastle United i think if when you add a dollop of like expectation because it's man united yeah. i think that's I the think it hurts. that's the biggest problem with with United specifically and, you know, to other extents, clubs like, I guess, Arsenal uh, before this Arteta reign really kicked into gear. There's always that expectation to win now, which Chelsea, I guess, are suffering from that a little bit because they're trying to start again, new plan long term and the fans are too impatient. And like with, with Man United, they are basically, they're not victims, kind of victims of their past success because of course Ten Hag has an idea of how he wants to play football but the players that they signed when he arrived players like Casemiro who has been brilliant for a long time is still very good but maybe not the perfect type of holding midfielder for what Ten Hag wants to do long term but they they need to win something now so they sign players I mean Ronaldo is perfect perfect example of that when he came back it's like oh yeah he'll be he'll get us over the line and you know in my opinion, cause more problems than he solved. But I agree. they they do they do that all the time, and they actually have a long history of that with forwards, especially before Ronaldo. It was Cavani who did well, but again, not a long term option. Zlatan, even like Falcao, Falcao, yeah. I mean, even Van Persie, who won them a league title, and was brilliant for a year. Like again, it wasn't that was just Ferguson. It wasn't a long term. That thing, was Ferguson was thinking, I'm having one last shot, and he's going to do it, and he did. Yeah. But they they don't have the club don't have the patience um, to or the structure and the people in place to implement something like that whereas with Brighton and Villa and Newcastle there isn't that expectation that they should be challenging for the title so fans are naturally more forgiving of um, a slightly slower more methodical process sure yeah yeah totally Um, anyone any Aston Villa fans listening to this right now please let me know 
Try and put your bias to a side for a second. And what's going on with this XG? Talk to me. Because I want to find out. Has Ollie Watkins just like broken the model? Yeah, maybe. Because I think sometimes sometimes um, exceeding your XG is a sign of quality, isn't it? Certainly yeah. with strikers, right? Yeah, because, so, I mean, there's a temptation to look at like the XG or like expected points as like the real table. Like that's what things should be like. But there's world-class players score goals that they shouldn't be able to score. And that is not that doesn't mean that the team aren't good. It means it's full of quality, right? So, so is that is that the answer here? Is that is that the video, Ruben, that I'm trying to discover? Is it the fact that and and I and it's my video. It's not Tifo's video. <laughs> is it the fact that actually the squad building has been so good, both with the management and the and the players themselves, that they have a squad that can outrun XG? Well. Let's Coming see. Soon. Let's see because you know we we discussed it a lot last season and the consensus was like this won't last forever. Really, but it might. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, what is lasting as well? I think if they finish sixth again, then it's, they've done really well. Uh, their open play XG, by the way, is ten point seven six, which is the fourth best in the league behind Brighton, Tottenham, Newcastle, and Villa, above Man City. Newcastle somewhere. have the highest XG in the league, don't they? Uh, is it? I've, I've got uh, open play. I always go to open play XG. Oh, okay. so I like to see what they're doing. Otherwise, yeah. Uh, yeah. Newcastle's is probably skewed by Trippier's free kicks then. Right. And yeah. just generally playing Sheffield United. <laughs> Fulham uh, lost to Chelsea 2-0. Uh, does this win kickstart their season, Chelsea season, of course, or set them back even further? Brozier scored. It was very useful. Uh, as I say, I haven't, just, I haven't seen this game. I've seen the highlights. Um, it was very useful with his hold-up play. Um, supposedly, Kai has, has kindly told me. Um, Nicholas Jackson didn't play in this one, obviously, but he went off injured, 65th minute. Kaiseido went off injured. Uh, Mudrik scored his first Chelsea goal, which is obviously really important. Um, but he's got himself injured as well. Um, so it may have sort of set them backwards. Did you see any of the games? Yeah, I watched most of it. It it now does feel for Chelsea like one step forward, two steps back because they've finally been able to put the ball in the net, which they were really struggling with. Um, despite playing one of the goals well. was like oh, one of the goals was bizarre, Fulham, right? Yeah, Tim Ream. Tim Ream, what's he doing? Um, kind of panicking with his with his passing out from the back and but then even the finish was like a tackle that went onto Brozier's shin mm. um so but you know that you have to you have to capitalize on those opportunities not taking any way anything away from Chelsea there um but yeah I mean Chelsea personally from like a very biased point of view I quite enjoy seeing them spend lots of money and still struggle yeah. and uh Palace finishing above them last Here season we get on <laughs> I, I don't I don't want to see them do well, but I feel like I'm capable of removing that bias and okay. saying that I, I do think they've played generally quite well this season. Like there are there are positive signs and they do also have injuries like the the two main fullbacks being injured, especially Jet Reese James, like that's a massive problem, right? Um and they had to play Kukurea at right back yesterday, which seemed to work, but from like a purely aesthetic point of view I can't I can't be having left footed right backs don't like it yeah um, uh, the thing for me I, I would sort of beware this idea that it's all going to be rosy now because it's the fixtures for me when it comes to Chelsea because for me I think I said this actually I didn't do the pod because I had COVID but I was looking at it I was like they have to win the next two games 
Right, who are they which, got? which were difficult, right? Because so Fulham, like away West London derby, you know that's that's not easy. Burnley, uh, they've got away as well at the weekend, and then it's Arsenal, loss, Brentford at home, but they generally struggle to Brentford, Draw. Tottenham, loss, Man City, loss, Newcastle, loss, Brighton, yeah. loss. <laughs> well, I've been recently. Um, Man United going into December. That United Chelsea game could really be like both teams just desperately need to win. Yeah. Depen- where could those go? United where will Man United and Chelsea be on the 6th of December? That is a one hell of a question. Theoretically, they could both be in the bottom half. Easily. So yeah. 10th and 11th at the moment. That was one question I did want to ask you. You know, as a Crystal Palace fan, how do you feel about the standard of the other guys? As in the, the because my theory is often that the Premier League has such a monopoly because it has as a league has so much more money than apart from one area of the country mm. uh, of the world um, other leagues right the yeah. other big five leagues and therefore the the other guys so that you know Bournemouth right, have been yeah. able to spend money basically they're all able to spend money and there's so many good players out there in the world that actually although the the market value of these teams will be bizarre and you'll have Chelsea spending the amount of money that they've had it's actually a bit of a fallacy yeah because it closes the gap a bit yeah because overall the pool of let's say there's let's say there's a thousand brilliant players a thousand players who are good enough to play in the Premier League right the ability to sort of take them from AC Milan or wherever it might be for for you know Crystal Palace Everton you know those teams to be able to go and take those players from the world means that actually, although there'll be a lot of patronising over different teams, this league is so much harder than people give it credit for. Yeah, exactly. Do you, do you, have you seen that with Crystal Palace in terms of the, how much better their squad's got? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the first 11, when everybody's fit, is very strong. Um, but, the, I mean, Palace have kind of, in the last couple of years, they've tried to change the way they, they do things and... The, the squad that Hodgson um, left for Vieira to... Well, Vieira inherited a squad after that. He had a transfer window. The the squad that Hodgson left a couple of years ago was very old and slow, and therefore we had to play very um, conservative football. But then we signed centre-backs who could move, and we started spending some money. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we signed players like Eze and Olise and stuff. And you can see the progress there. But even with those players, even with Gahey and Anderson and Olise and Eze and Decore, who we signed from a club who then went into on to qualify for the Champions League, which just emphasises your point, yeah. right? Even with them, we still can't climb the table. Because it's mm. like, if you're not accelerating as quickly as the likes of... I mean, Villa and Brighton are kind of exceptions. But, you know, even Fulham last season were much better than everybody expected them to be. You can't stand still yeah. at all. Um, Look at Leicester. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they kind of, I don't really know what happened to them, but they, they, they had a bad run of recruitment, didn't they? Their they strategy yeah, they, changed they stood and... still. It it didn't, uh, you know, the recruitment that they tried to put in place obviously didn't work. And also they, they sort of suffered from having a squad that had done so well for them. But that that evolution to a new squad, it's actually really, really difficult. Yeah, especially really when difficult. the way they got that success, the way they won the league and stuff was um they were benefiting in the 15-16 season when Leicester won the Premier League they won so many games because nobody clocked 
Nobody changed the way they played against them. Everybody thought until it was too late. Ah, it's mm. only Leicester. Yeah. And then like they just sat back and counted against every single team and, and it worked every time. Mm. Um, but yeah, I fear, I, I do like it, we're not in a crisis palace at the moment, but I do fear that we could slowly slide down because I see so many transfers of them that the other guys are, are making. And I, and I just think, why weren't we after him? Yeah. Because we need to constantly evolve the squad. Like Joel Ward, God love him, made a goal line clearance in a playoff final 10 years ago. Is still our starting right back. He's the only player left from that team. And it's like, I love him. He's a great servant to the club. But like, surely we should have moved on by now. And we've we've tried. But... So, so the, on a more positive note, mm. you know, you bring up 2015-16 with Leicester City. Do you think there is the possibility of, you know, you kind of seen it with Brighton a little bit, of finding enough gems to go and do do something like they did? Or do you think do you think there's just too much knowledge, too much tactical changes and tweaks yeah, for I that mean, to occur? Maybe maybe we're a bit uh, too far behind in terms of time, the uh, the other clubs who have who have done that well. But um the, hopefully this new like the, the the academy's improved massively over the past couple of years Dougie Friedman is showing himself to be a very astute um, sporting director with his recruitment like Lerma on a free really good like identifying players like Gahey and Anderson who were not exactly unknown but like actually guessing them Who yeah. and you know that was a completely new partnership that worked from the off maybe, the, thing, maybe. the thing that kills it I think for some teams is that so utilising Chelsea's academy to get players mm. is not a bad idea at all. But what happens with a lot of these guys is because of the stockpiling of these, you know, big six academies, you'll get them, but you'll get them at, with with the ability for them to just take them back if they need them. Yeah. So it's honestly got to be, because my next question was going to be, as I was sort of exploring this idea, is if you're going to have another team... So who has done it? Leicester have done it. Blackburn Rovers have done it in terms of a team that weren't the six. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe Newcastle would be the obvious answer here. But obviously we know why that is. Who Who is the best chance of being a Premier League the winner? The new disruptors. But not even a disruptor, like a one season catch fire win the league. So difficult it's, to say, isn't it? Because the, the, it's probably Brighton or Brentford, isn't it? I would guess Brentford. Brent. The thing with Brentford, right? Oh, I, I have huge respect for everything they do. I right. just, I but I think they're they so. Level. But I'm, I'm not saying that's this year. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying that's. Oh right, because they've at got some point. They've got the foundation. They'll in find place. the little gems and get enough of them and have them on a, the right kind of contract. And that when means it all comes together, and every now and then. Like the season that Leicester won the league, they won it partly because the big six were all in transitional transition, periods. Yeah, and absolutely. like, you know, Spurs were only just getting good under Poch. United were pretty rubbish under LVG. Chelsea had that awful season when Mourinho got sacked and they finished 10th, I think. Mm. Um, City, Pep hadn't arrived yet. They were kind of oh, at the he, end of he, an era. It was He, oh, he was started 2016, didn't right, he? Right, right. Um, so, no. I think he was there, but I it think was it was his first, first season year where he didn't win it. When he, yeah. when he still had like Sanya and Kolarov and yes, players like that. Yeah. So Leicester just pounced at this perfect opportunity. Mm. And that will happen again eventually because they won't all stay this good forever. Eventually their, their cycles will all link up at, to, to a point that none of them are that good. And then somebody will surge through. But, but is it, that's maybe, based maybe on it more so the manager 
there needs to be a, a change in the guard of man managers. So it needs to be Pep and Klopp need to go at the same time. Deserve he needs to go somewhere else, or maybe Deserve needs end to up still be at Brighton. It feels like it. It does yeah. feel like it. We, we, yeah, we're going to talk about that in our uh, second podcast. But yeah, again, another one to tweet me, guys. Let me know. Um, what do you think? Who is the next Leicester City? Who could do it? I could be Villa as well. The, like the, the beauty of the Leicester thing, though, is that they weren't even one of those clubs. No, do you know what I mean? Wild, nobody, nobody, um, nobody talks like, about them because they they only just escaped relegation the season before, season four, and yeah. and they weren't known for this um, incredible strategy. But then they became known for it because players like Kante and Mahrez, mm. um, you know, exploded into form. But um, it was yeah. But that I think that's it. You have to. Vardy's not seen as as a Kante or Mahrez because you know he's Jamie Vardy, right? But. <laughs> But they like plucked to, him to from... have to pluck those three, Mares, yeah. Kante, <laughs> and Vardy, and have it's not like all... they stopped then, did they? Vardy kept scoring goals. Kante went and won the league again. Mares won the league five times after that. Kante, the only, the only player to win the Premier League back to back seasons with different teams. Yeah, is he? Because he went straight to Conte's went to... Chelsea. Yeah, and that yeah, was... yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to dance around the. The fact that like I don't want to say that Brighton it's will Brighton, probably right. be that. The answer, right. yeah. Last thing uh, when it comes to the weekend, I think what is the ripple effect here of getting that first goal? So Mudrik got himself a goal. Obviously, kind of got injured, which kind of derails it. But uh, what I find really interesting is the Havertz goal. So. Mm. Here's a ripple for you. Will Ryan Christie fouling Odegaard in the box lead to one Arsenal player becoming him this season? Ryan Christie fouling Odegaard led to an Arsenal penalty in the 53rd minute against Bournemouth. Odegaard had already taken a penalty in the game, but instead of taking it himself, he allowed Kai Havertz to take it. Bet there was some FPL manager fuming at that. Havertz put it put in a confident display throughout the match and despite not creating any chances himself, made four tackles and won five ground duels. Is he the new Joe Linton? <laughs> Kai. Sorry, Kai. I've just read that for the first time. That's um, that's mental. Um, I mean, maybe, I guess it's going to be a little bit different. Maybe that is what is, is he a bit of a bully for that team? But what the question I wanted to get to was, was it worth the risk giving him that penalty? Because you basically have someone who, and also, there's been a thing that's been thrown at Arsenal regularly, which is the sort of mentality thing. The sort of um, ruthlessness or lack of ruthlessness. Now, people have sort of spun this into team spirit and this idea that he needed to, um, you know, he had to be brave enough to take the penalty. It was third goal. Bournemouth were terrible. Uh, like, the game was pretty much done to the point where they felt confident to give him the ball to take it. And he's a Premier League footballer, and it's a penalty. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. But it's but my point is, it's it's not 2-2, two, two, 90th minute. Oh, no, you wouldn't Odegaard give Odegaard shaking, one. going, Kai, could you take this? It was not like, and he does it. It was sort of, it was a pity penalty. It was a pity penalty, and it reminds me a little bit of, do you remember Vincent Janssen? Yeah, God bless. Back up to Kane in that 16-17 season, the Spurs' last year at White Hart Lane. He obviously didn't get that much game time and he and he rarely scored. He he really struggled to score. I think he went, you know, I don't know how long. But he went so long without a goal that in the cup, they let him take a penalty against Millwall and he scored it and they all mobbed him afterwards. And you could, I'm not sure if that um, pity always helps. Yeah. Like, so so it's, say... It's a little, it, so, some players might infer it as being condescending. 
Yes. And it could affect their confidence in a, in a different way. You don't want it to. I mean, I don't. I think Odegaard is a good captain. He knows his players, and Havertz did seem happy, and the fans were singing his name afterwards. So I think it can. Largely... Laced with charity. Yeah. That's my time. problem yeah. here. It's utterly laced with charity, which leads to what you're saying a gentle whiff of being condescending and and therefore inferior. Right? So, again, was it worth it? If he'd. So he scored the goal. He then awkwardly celebrated, and they were like, "Come on, you little scamp, celebrate!" Yeah. In this free, you know, when the third goal went in, but if he'd missed it, that's <laughs> that, horrible. Yeah, right? yeah. If, it, that, it was so basically, what I'm alluding to, it wasn't worth it. My see, opinion. See, confirmation bias would say yes because he scored it, and the chances of him scoring it are much higher than the chances of him missing it. But the consequences right. of him missing, missing it, it are probably much greater in the negative than the con- than the benefits of him. Scoring it. So, I mean, it's basically weighs out as like 50-50. Probably. Yeah, you're right. But I think the Kai Havertz is such a weird player for, for to like analyse mm. because he's clearly got talent. Like he was brilliant in the Bundesliga. He had spells at Chelsea when he looked quite good. He scored in the Champions League final. There's clearly something there. Yeah. But for so long, it just didn't quite get to the level that you hoped it would. And, you know, the biggest criticism that people used to make of him was he's not physically imposing enough. He doesn't shoot with enough conviction and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, there's the stats, languid, isn't he, I guess, as well? Yeah, but the stats you've got there about his tackles and ground tools, like, that is quite a drastic change to his first few games in an Arsenal shirt, I think. And, and you know, he's replacing Granit Xhaka, so he's actually adapting to a new role, very different to the one he played at Chelsea, yeah. which was already different to the one that he played at Leverkusen. Or, or possibly even worse than that, he's... They're creating a, you know, Arteta's spoken about plan A, A1, A2, A3. This is actually like A3 that looks a bit like plan A. Mm. And so people are going, why aren't you doing what Xhaka did? And he's like, he's not that player. It's, it's, yeah, it's going to be slightly different. And also their midfield makeup is changed by the fact that, you, you know, they've signed Declan Rice. And when Partey's fit, they'll probably play together. Do you think? And... Save it, save it, save okay, it, save, save it. it. Save oh, yeah. It. We're going to do that. We'll do that in our preview. Will they play together? Make sure you're following the podcast wherever you get it, especially on Spotify. Give us a five-star rating. Very close to, I want to say 5K. I think we're close to 5K. So, yeah, do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Really, really proud of that number. And absolutely love that you guys are listening to the podcast. And later in the week, we will have a Arsenal Man City preview on its way. We will talk about Thomas Partey and if he should play or not. Uh, After the break, we're going to talk about VAR and Thierry Henry's handball and how... Ireland should have got to a World Cup semi-final in 2010. Right, guys, it's that time. We're going to touch on Liverpool Spurs briefly. So briefly. It's going to be so brief, guys. Please don't click off. Okay? And then we'll get into sort of slightly more fun things that might essentially be picking at old wounds uh, so Liverpool versus Spurs <laughs> should we just do a checklist quickly so uh, first red card was it red card uh, yes million percent Curtis Jones Curtis Jones yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all day all day agreed uh, Jota two bookings first one is harsh but the second one is stupid and I feel like the second one he actually he gets a bit of a nudge from is it Udogi 
I think. That, He's with yeah. it, yeah. He gets a nudge as he gets tackled, and I think and he just momentarily right. sees red and goes in for a stupid slide tackle. First one was harsh, though, because it was an accident, but he tripped him up. But he was on his way, wasn't he? Yeah. That's the thing. Okay, so I agree with that as well. Was it offside? <laughs> <laughs> Who could say? I don't Who know. could say? I don't know. I don't know. The human eye can, you know, on occasion has human error. Uh, so obviously everyone's talking about VAR. It's like the black and um, blue dress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's got to that point. Uh, so what would have happened if Diaz's goal would have stood? And actually, can I just take a second to say, that is one hell of a finish. Oh, it's a brilliant goal. Such a great goal. I also love the no way he does a backward roll back to a standing yeah, really position good. afterwards. Really good. Yeah, smooth. He's, he's very underrated, I think, Diaz. I think yeah. because of he's had the, obviously the injuries and stuff. And, and they've what... signed a couple more attackers since he's arrived as well. So yeah. the focus is on Gakpo exactly. and Nunez. Yeah. And uh, Soboslai, who I keep mm. saying his name right. Soboslai. Yeah. Soboslai. I'll, I'll be putting a bit of like swag on it. That's <laughs> wrong. Okay, Soboslai. Uh, so Diaz scored a valid goal in the 33rd minute, but VAR ruled it out for offside despite not applying the lines to what was a very close call. Obviously, everyone knows the story of that. Spurs then go on to score in the 36th minute to make it 1-0. If Diaz's goal stands, Spurs probably wouldn't have scored in the 36th minute and the landscape of the game would have been changed. Also, Jota may not have been sent off if his team is winning 1-0. The goal being disallowed ultimately means that Liverpool missed out on a chance to go top of the table and are now in fourth spot, one behind Villa. So will this accelerate the integration of semi-automated offsides like we see in the Champions League? Right, let's rant. (sighs) What I found really interesting, and again, come back to that word ambiguous at the start of the pod, was... So, honestly, my desire when making a video is what what is fair and true in my mind. Mm. Honestly, it is. Because that is... That's... For me, that's the brand I want to put out there. But obviously it's football, so people are going to disagree, right? But what I found interesting, and I've never done a video on VAR, because why would you? Mm. Uh, Because I hate it. And I hate talking. The only thing I hate more than VAR is talking about it, which we're about to do again. But we're going to have a bit of fun with it, so it's fine. But what I found interesting with the comments is, like, people are sort of, like, polar opposite with their views on it all. It's incredibly And divisive. the thing that's getting annoying for me is that people need to kind of put their weapons down and go, okay, let's find a solution. There's never going to be one that works for everyone. So I would, I would scrap it, but you, we can't. It's too late. Yeah. And actually, that, dug in now. when I went down that wormhole and saw a Roy Keane, I saw a Roy Keane video when he was Ipswich Town Manager <laughs> talking about the Thierry Henry handball. And he's basically saying, well, he's going he's gonna to handball it. It's, you know, it's instinct. Why is the ball bouncing in the six-yard box? He basically has a go at Shea Given for it. And that, that is so rookie. <laughs> it's the one where he actually... I can't believe, it's, it's the one where his, the phone goes off. It's mm. in the same press conference. It's absolutely oh, incredible. Wow. Definitely go watch it if you get a chance. Um, but what was interesting is in that kind of time warp, not time warp, but like it being before VR, he's like, well, obviously we need... Because that used to oh, be so the, he does advocate for the yeah for the that, that was the conversation yeah. was always like well we need it of course we need it and then everything mm. will be rosy felt like that was kind of the starting point of it being a serious thing because before that you, I mean you had it a little bit I don't know when it was introduced in cricket and rugby actually but um, 
like the, there was there was insane refereeing decisions in the 2002 World Cup yeah. in some career games. But yeah. I mean, I was too young to remember what the football discourse was. But uh, you know, like but it wouldn't have been as loud as well. No, because not everyone's on Twitter while exactly. watching the game. Exactly. And then around 2009-10, that really started to ramp it all up. Mm. Um, and it's look, it it's this the domination of football discussion being centered around ambiguous refereeing decisions has been that is what caused VAR like it's the attitude of fans pundits everybody like I'm not singling out or trying to patronize fans or have a go at pundits but just everybody understandably because we're all partisan and we're all biased and these things dramatically affect whether our team wins or loses so we talk about them rather than how the team played or whatever like on match of the day the amount of time that they spend analyzing refereeing decisions because they know that that's what people are talking well, about they kind of need to tick it off, don't they? As yeah, well. yeah, yeah. And but that the the end point of that was we bring in VAR, and then rightly or wrongly, I mean wrongly, people assume that now there's never going to be a mistake again because they it's just it is just a replay. So <laughs> like for the Luis Diaz one, <laughs> <laughs> for the Luis Diaz one, it is obviously incorrect and it's unfathomable how they didn't spot that and also very quick unusually quick the way they moved on i am not suggesting there is a conspiracy here and people need to calm down with that throwing the word throwing words around like corruption is not helpful it was a really bad mistake and and then a, then a, a clear period of panic yeah right and like it's a difficult job there was a there was a bad communication error we all make mistakes at work. Not all of our mistakes lead to this sort of consequence. Yeah. Um, so it's just, I don't know. I just, I understand it when decision like that goes against your team. It's infuriating because you've been, you've essentially been denied um, a goal. It's, it's, it's an injustice against you and your team and, and your fellow fans. But everybody does need to calm down a little bit because it's not a premeditated agenda. It's just a mistake. I totally agree. I think the root of this, right, is a couple of things. So one thing, like I, I will have said this to people, the best YouTube video you can make is to discuss something. And I think generally, you know, good conversations or whatever, is to talk about something that everyone can have an opinion on and no one can be 100% or officially right. Yeah. So if you go, for example who's ranking stuff is a great video because this that's my that's my list yeah and it engages meaningful but, conversation well, yeah but yeah. people go but people will go get caught up in it understandably and again that's part of the fun right but they're going well, how can you put clop above pep or mm. whatever it might be right and i just know liverpool fans are getting annoyed at the fact that i just put <laughs> they used that as an example that, that yeah. would be wrong but so the thing with this is that when people are going, like you said, when when VAR comes in or when we have technology, that will get rid of all of that stuff. Like, it is impossible. And so the solution has to be some level of acceptance. Yeah, That is the only way you can, like, agree to disagree. And again, I always come back to, like, the power of sport and the life lessons it provides. And nine times, we've forgotten. Everyone's got such a high opinion of themselves that they think, one, they can't be wrong, and two, something needs to be done about it. Mm. Well, actually, sometimes in life, you don't get what you want, someone makes a mistake, and you've got to get on with it. Yeah. And I think that, again, is another thing that is um, is a bit of a problem. So you have that mix of 
the things that are great and will get engagement are things that are ambiguous yeah that you can have an opinion on and then there's but then there's this such outrage of something needs to change the other thing i i always think and i, I don't think people uh, think about it enough is that football say cricket or things like that these are quite closed skills mm. that they're being is that is defined around it's like is there a sound or not yeah because if there is a sound that means it's definitely you know it's it's edged the bat yeah like can we see it touch the ground or not like again that's quite that's quite clear yeah or like in in tennis like they can pretty much measure it perfectly yeah right and it's not contact exactly and so and even rugby because there's a lot of talk about rugby and the thing for me with rugby is that although it's somewhat of an open sport again you are you have the ball in your hands and you run into each other it's not it's not as loose yeah it's a bit more black and white it's a bit more black and white you have two lines of of teams yeah at, sort of getting at each other everyone's within the same little area and therefore is that a little bit slower as well obviously there's things that are up for interpretation i understand that but again not to the same level and not at the same speed because the curtis jones one and you can see it in different ways. And is the intent there to hurt him? Absolutely not. But like, have we seen this before? So that's when people come to the consistency thing. Even that, that's difficult. Yeah. Football is too fluid and too random and at the elite level too fast for them to get everything right and for everybody to agree on it. Yes. Yeah, so there has to be an acceptance of the interpretation yeah. of that man in the middle who you will hate during the game because he's not giving you everything you want to because you are seeing it generally yeah. with with favorable eyes especially right? when it comes to like fouls that maybe are or are not penalties like how much contact is enough to knock you over or should the player have stayed on his feet like pre VAR there was a game at the Etihad when Carl Walker was still at Spurs and Raheem Sterling was playing for City and Sterling ran into the box and Walker was chasing him from behind and shoved him in the back. Sterling stayed on his feet um, and got a bad shot away because he was off balance. Lloris saved it, continued, because he stayed on his feet, didn't get the penalty. So he was basically punished for being honest. Yeah. And But that in itself is is debatable about whether it is a penalty. And there's a million decisions like that. I don't know why that's what, the one that always comes back but into that's my a good, head. Sure, but, that's a good yeah. one in the sense of like, um, could he have gone down? Yes. Yeah. Is that so? Does that mean you give a foul? Um, I, yeah. I can't even give you a probably yes or probably no there, right? Yeah. So that all those elements are difficult, and I like. I have a, I have this get up rule, so I like the, I like this idea of more contact needs to be needed for it to be a penalty, mm-hmm. and for me it was like if I in my head go get up, then that's not a penalty. <laughs> but that's, should we again, inscribe that's, that into the laws of the game? But again, but, but again, there needs to be so there has to be an acceptance from the referee that you have. You can give yeah. as much directives as possible, but at some point you have to leave it to someone else, apart from the things that you can't. Yeah. So in and terms of a solution, do you think... More robots to police the robots and then more robots to police them. And then eventually nobody will ever make a mistake. No, as you say, yeah. I don't think we need more of it. Semi-automated offsides, if the technology works then and it, we can avoid disasters like the Diaz goal being ruled out, then yeah, fine. But generally I think we... It's almost impossible because I think the solution is actually a, a widespread attitude attitude change among right. football fans that's and pundits. And that's going to be really difficult because we all want our team to win. Of course. And like, you know, when the Palace got to 
a FA Cup final in 2016. And Clattenburg um, blew the whistle early and when he should have played advantage. And he knows that. Like, I spoke to him about it really? many years later. And he knows that. But, like, at the time, I was fuming. But I Life goes on. Life goes on. You don't make that jump of saying he wanted United to win. He just blew the whistle too early yeah. and made a mistake. And those things happen. And... Yeah. I just think, sadly, that that those cruelties are a part of life. And and you don't have to go far to see it. Like, I'm a fan of a team in the championship. We should have had a penalty this Saturday that is blatant. Like, outrageously blatant. We didn't get it. Mm. I think that what's interesting is that, like, the, the screaming... If I scream, it's almost like, kind of, what's the point? Mm. Whereas I feel like there's such, you know, these are such huge fan bases that it, the stakes, it can be louder. I mean, I don't want to say the stakes are higher, but there's more focus on it and like the, the stakes are Clearly, yeah. more expensive, right? And especially when big teams like Liverpool and Spurs are involved who are like going for top four, going for a title or whatever, feels more significant. Yes. But ultimately, I mean, I don't know how true this is, but I'd like to think that it does actually balance itself out eventually. Because, I mean, I saw some, you know, ludicrous calls to have the game replayed. Yeah. Not nonsense, I think it was right? Martin <laughs> but if you Come replay, on, if you replay a game because of an incorrect offside, mm. um, do we do we play? Where replay? does it end? Where yeah. does it end? Where do you draw the line? Where do we, do we replay end? their Champions League <laughs> semi final against Chelsea and Luis Garcia's goal didn't cross the line? Yeah, man, that is crazy. It's that's what I mean. The only full stop is acceptance. Mm. Yeah, that is just the only place you can go to. People make go, mistakes. Yeah. That said, <laughs> there were some really good tweets uh, of things that and of how uh, VR has sort of tampered with history so far. So here's a couple of great ones. Ben Kelly, uh, who I know Ben well. Ben, I hope you're really well, mate. I hope everything's going brilliantly. I hope you're bloody listening. If you are, make sure you tweet me so I know that you are. Otherwise, you're a scumbag. He said, Rodri's handball against Everton. Everton. So Everton's score... So this was a, a great ball from Deli Alley down the left-hand channel. Richarlison nearly gets a shot off in the penalty box and Edison saves it and then it basically bounces and Rodri goes to retrieve. Uh, and again, if you head to my Twitter, you can see the, you'll see the screenshot or just search Rodri handball. And there were 11 games to go and Everton were really struggling at the time. But, and it was so blatant. It was. It was so bad. And VAR, VAR was, you know, was happening at the time. So Ben Kelly says, Rodri Handball was given. If that, if it is given, it wasn't, right? Everton then scored the penalty. It was a 1-0 victory for Man City. It would have been one all. Liverpool then win the league and maybe, off the back of such heights, the quadruple the week after. I mean, I, I think it would be fair fairer to say that they would probably have won the treble because they would... If, you, if that's the only different thing that happens that season in the Premier League, then they win the league. They won the two cups. Talk me through the points for people. Uh, so Man City that. won the league that season with 93 points. Um, and Liverpool came second with 92, which was very similar to 18-19 when John Stones cleared the ball off the line. Yeah. So there's another, not an injustice. Which you hadn't crossed the line, yeah. Yeah, yeah hadn't. Not an injustice, but like a very you know sliding doors moment. Mm. And then Chelsea were in third with 74 points somehow. I don't remember that Chelsea team. But Liverpool lost the Champions League final to Real Madrid. So I'm not sure that this would have affected that. But, you know, maybe there was a whole confidence thing that you could... There's so many intangibles, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that is a huge, really good example of a decision like this that could have affected 
um, league titles. Then if Liverpool win the league and two cups that season, maybe the Champions League as well. How does that affect the transfer window that follows? Yeah. Oh, God. Wow. So, I mean, I guess, first of all, when it comes to the quadruple, you know, maybe they've got just that little bit more juice for that Real Madrid game. They take a couple of those chances. Courtois was man of the match in that game, of course. And maybe they get themselves over the line. In terms of that transfer window, obviously the season after, which was last season, was a difficult one for them. Mm. Do you think they would have... I don't think it changes much, you know. Does Mane stay? I don't think he does. No, probably not, because that all felt like it had come to its natural conclusion. Totally agree. Um, Would they have re like rejuvenated their midfield a bit earlier than they because they did that this summer would they yeah. have started that process a little bit earlier would they have had a bigger pull I mean I'm not saying that Holland would have gone to them instead of City does Chua many choose them yeah exactly Maybe. right and then the reason last season was difficult well one of the reasons was because Fabinho was clearly on the wane so if you if you bring in Chua many instead of him going to Real Madrid then you know it's that there there are Many possibilities. Many ripple effects. Many ripple effects. Um, so Burnley, Watford and Norwich go down that season, by the way. Uh, so I, I don't, it didn't affect Everton, I guess, probably in a positive way, bizarrely, just because it meant that Liverpool didn't win the, the league, which would obviously suit Everton. Everton stayed up that season, uh, coming from 2-0 down to beat Palace 3-2. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. that was when everybody ran on pitch and Vieira almost sparked a fan. Would Everton have had the buffer... That could have led them to a full sense of security and thus got them relegated. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that was that's what could have happened here. Um let's keep moving. So we got this was the one that kind of spawned it. Um and actually I've got a screenshot actually. Because the the tweet that really spawned it was uh, FPL Frazier. He said this this goal should never have stood. This goal effectively or should have stood, right? This goal so the goal was um Aston Villa versus Sheffield United. And it was kind of fresh off the back of his first game after COVID. If you actually see the footage, you can see some her- t- horrible haircuts. Oh, yeah. Jack uh, Grealish had his all um, platted. Platted. Michael him. Oliver, who, you know, I know he likes to stay tight on his trim. Um, he looked like he was like straight from the 70s or something. Uh, anyway, more importantly, Cross comes in for Sheffield United, who were having a great season that year. So it didn't totally affect them. Yeah, that was when Wilder had his overlapping centre-backs and they all exactly. almost got into Europe, wasn't it? Exactly. And so there's a goal that clearly crosses the line. The goal line technology. It's no one's fault apart from Mr. Goal Line Technology who, like, it doesn't buzz because the cameras are blocked by something by because there's loads of players on the line, which just seems absurd to me. But they then didn't sort of fix it. Villa and some people have said that there's a earlier in the earlier in the season Kevin Friend blew the whistle, which meant that VAR couldn't get involved, um, oh, yeah. and that cost them a point. I'm so sure, it evened itself I'm sure out. We've seen examples. I'm sure we've seen examples of full time whistle being blown and then something being reviewed. After. Yes, so that was Ke- Kevin Friend did that one. So so yeah. to hear out Aston Villa fans who go it doesn't really matter anyway. That was the sort of one point sway in the other direction. But if Villa, uh, so Villa stayed up and Grealish went for 100 million. That money was spent on the Villa rebuild and the team is doing great now. One ref mistake and so much after effects. Because if he had, if they had gone down, Grealish would have gone for cheap. He would have gone to Man United most likely. And who knows what would and have you, happened to And United to would Aston have Villa. drained all the talent from him. And now we'd be going, <laughs> was he ever actually yeah. there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's probably an alcoholic by this point. Um, <laughs> God bless him. 
But now it, it all worked out for him. But yeah, also Bournemouth, of course, go down that year as well. I did ask Tom Jordan, who is my resident uh, Bournemouth fan, and he said that he Eddie Howe, if Eddie Howe stays, because they stay up, stays for a couple more years, he doesn't go to um, Newcastle. Or if you just let it spread even wider, there's the butterfly effect of... Maybe he loses his job the year after. Maybe he then cha- has a change of heart when it comes to the Celtic job. Mm. And if he takes a Celtic job, Ange Postacoglu doesn't get the Celtic job. And, and Spurs then... remain bad forever Spurs, because he doesn't yeah. earn himself the Spurs job. Exactly. Uh, Tom said it was an interesting point, the fact that he could have stayed there for a few years if that goal was given. I personally believe that Eddie felt it was time regardless of relegation, but the fact the goal line technology literally just didn't work and was given so little media attention compared to this weekend's boils my piss. <laughs> I mean, and and also like Newcastle. Newcastle <laughs> that was maybe. a that was a private tweet. Sorry, sorry I should have read that out. Uh, Newcastle wouldn't perhaps be as good as they are either. Exactly right. Who would they have hired? Would and say well, would Unai Emery? And I know he kind of turned them down, but it, would they have made it so? Got Unai Emery in. So who would Aston Villa have now? Steve Bruce. They would have come back round. They would have got themselves relegated last season. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. So if Villa went down because of that then then they, they might not have even been in the league yeah because they would have because they wouldn't have had the money to rebuild Oof. the team without Grealish and they would have had to sell players like Concer and, Doug, and Douglas Louise who are clearly too good for the championship that's a juicy ripple Bournemouth had to sell players like Ake Harry Wilson someone else I can't remember right but look, now Bournemouth are back up in the Premier League now so and yeah although who cares struggling right now but I'm sure they'll be fine are you, are <laughs> you sure Bournemouth will not be fine certain. <laughs> not certain I don't like to predict yeah. it's a mugs game uh, there was an offside goal which basically sent Cardiff down and kept Brighton up. Uh, Aspilicueta scored a goal that was miles offside, which made the game 1-1 in the 84th minute. This then spurred on a Cardiff comeback and they made it 2-1 in the 91st minute. Cardiff were relegated that season on 34 points, whilst Brighton stayed up on 36. And look where both clubs are now. That's, that, is, that, that is a stinking offside. That's the, the one that I didn't realise how much I cared about until I saw <laughs> the running order and I was like, oh yeah, remember that? Brighton yeah. are really good now. That's annoying. That is. And but, you know, Brighton... All right, so it, use that example. If Brighton go down because that transpires differently, they just adapt and come back up, don't they? Because <laughs> they're so yeah, well run. Well, that's, I think probably. that's the truth with some of these yeah. things. Like, do Cardiff... You know, Cardiff stay up for one more year and then drop down. I mean, they yeah, they I mean? they were managed by Warnock at the time, right, on a survival mission. So it's un it's unlikely that they would have gone on to do what Brighton have done and that Brighton would have lingered in the championship. I guess if Warnock stays another year, then does he take on the other jobs that he takes on, which is Middlesbrough and therefore Huddersfield Town and our Huddersfield Town playing in mm. League One right now. And That's another one, you know, very importantly, uh, internet culture would have been denied one of the great memes. Had that that transpired differently. A Warnock just staring down the officials after the game until they walk off. So odd, isn't it? Uh, Last one, uh, Felix. uh, When Kovacic got sent off, even though he was the the one who was fouled and Martinez caught the ball outside of his box all in the 2020 FA Cup final, Chelsea may have gone on to win that game with Arsenal, um, the team down with 10 men instead of the other way around, stopping Arsenal. And then I wonder if Arteta would have survived the terrible run of form until December if he didn't have the FA Cup in the bank. That's a really good that one. That is a good one, isn't it? Because I remember um, being you know, naive to what Arteta was doing because there were times where... You didn't trust the process, did you? I even? did not trust the process, no. Well what, what, uh, well, what confused me about that Arsenal team was that in that FA Cup final especially, they didn't have the perfect squad, but they had very clear 
way of playing and and you could see the green shoots yeah and then they went on this in really bad run and i just thought what where where what are they working towards mm. and then it obviously all worked out in the end because they had faith in him and they identified the right players and fair play to arsenal for that because it's very tempting for clubs as we see it very often for them to pull the metaphorical trigger a bit early mm. and if chelsea had won that fa cup what would what would have been frank lampard wow yeah would he have been given the time that he needed probably not Probably not. Yeah, no, but seriously, he, he would have been found out eventually. So the other side of it is, what if we'd had VAR way back when? Simon Oliver says Frank Lampard's goal against Germany. Does that change anything? So, I still think we get pumped. Yeah, this is the thing. So that's 2-2 two, two at half time, though? Yeah, that, that's what everybody says. My dad's always like, 2-2 two, two at half time, it's a different game. It's a different game. It up. That's actually it up. not how he speaks. He's more like, 2-2 two, two at half time, would have been different game rooms. Um no, it wouldn't, because did you see Ozil jog past Gareth Barry? Like yeah. they would have, they would have. But are we chasing the game and... there? Would would have Gareth yeah. Barry's? You know, has he got them by his side a little bit more? I mean, that uh, World Cup, like we were dreadful in the group as well, yeah, and yeah, yeah. like Gerard was playing on the left wing. So it's nice to think that maybe we'd have beaten that Germany team, who only narrowly lost to the eventual winners in the semi final. I think, I think at best we lose in extra time, possibly, yeah. possibly penalties as per. I think that would have been the way that we. So it's actually arguably less painful for it to happen that way because the comprehensive battering in the second half saved us the fair hope. Dues. It was a fair dues yeah. defeat. Yeah, you're it right. It saved you're us the, right. the hope and heartbreak of the penalties. Harvey says the ball hitting Sissoko's chest in the uh, biggest game of Tottenham's career, Tottenham's career, which forced <laughs> I get what you mean, which forced the handball rule to be changed. There was a huge ripple effect there. True, true. No, I remember at the time thinking this is that's. There was, yeah, there was VR there, though, wasn't there? Yeah, so this was... It was more the rule, wasn't it? No. Was the problem. Was there? This was 2019. It was, because it, that was the year they obviously they got past Man City due to VAR. Yes. So you what, can't get that, can't be too bitter on that, that one. That's semi-final. Exactly, yeah, because they, they got there because of it. So yeah. if it goes against them. But what was the uh, change in the handball law after that? You, can I be honest? I don't read the rules. I don't care. <laughs> so... Cool. So it changed, and I st- still think it's a bit of a mess. Mm. That's another thing. But that one is out. that one also. It like at the time I felt like we were saying at the very start. It's subjective. It's yeah. kind of open yeah. to, him to to interpretation because he was pointing, and it did look like Mane just blasted the ball at his arm. So yeah, you know, which you kind of have to say fair dues. At the time, I thought I was like, that's never a penalty. Mm. Uh, so the England '96 World Cup win. Would we have won more? Would have we made bigger changes to our game if we'd not won the World Cup? I don't know. But, the, but what I do know is the ball was miles over the line. Absolutely. Uh, Diego Maradona's hand of God. That is, that's a whole podcast. That is a whole podcast. I mean, there is... Uh, so much could have changed. Does Peter Shilton end up the way he is now if that doesn't happen? Yeah. Because <laughs> what was that? That was a quarterfinal, right, in 86? Yeah. And Argentina went on to win that World Cup. Yeah. So the conversations around who the greatest player of all time was would have been quite different because that was always the thing that people put in Maradona's favour. Um, would England have gone on to win it? Oh, probably not, but... You, are you truly, you can't, really don't, you really truly don't know. I think if you it get... It's up time, for grabs if you can get past, past Maradona, basically. That's a whole mm. podcast. What I do want to talk about is Thierry Henry's handball because I did, on the training, I had a look at this. So, <laughs> yeah... First of all, the ripple effect is you got that Roy Keane, him getting angry uh, about the guy with his phone, and he's kind of annoyed already because that he's basically having to go at the FAI um, about the fact that uh, you know he wanted the game to be replayed because of Thierry Henry. Of course, he was in the qualifiers for the 2010 World Cup, and 
was it a playoff? Might have been a playoff. I think it was a playoff in 2009, yeah. yeah. And Ireland were playing France, and in literally the last minute, the ball goes into the box. Thierry Henry instinctively, basically literally just like paddles the ball back to himself, crosses the ball, and they get the goal from it. Gallas nods it in, I think. Gallas nods it in, that's it. But uh, So it meant that Ireland obviously failed to qualify as a direct result, and Henri is generally hated. I did see that Henri got like death threats. He had to have his... his girl had to have a, a bodyguard for a couple of weeks because he was worried about that which is obviously going way too far one thing i did wanted to look into was like so what happened for um when it came to france now first of all you might remember the mutiny yeah with they france. completely shut the bed at that well <laughs> yeah so. it was an absolute disaster they finished bottom of their group and in their group they had south africa mexico and uruguay and if ireland are in that group and they're able to somehow win that group. Now, I don't know. You don't know, right? We just don't know what would have happened there. But the fact that you could have got something against South Africa, certainly could have got something against Mexico. Who knows you can get a draw against Uruguay, Uruguay right? were good in that tournament. They were good, and they got to the semi-final. But they played their route to the final, Uruguay's route. After that, they play... God, it's gone. We've gone blank now. South Korea. So they play South Korea next. So say Ireland won this group, right? They yeah. de- then play South Korea. Yeah. Who they obviously beat. <laughs> then then who would they play? Ghana. Ghana. Famously. Yeah. So if Ireland get that far and Uruguay are not in that quarterfinal, does Luis Suarez become the legend does he get that Liverpool move? Because this was... Was this so, not six months before he went to Liverpool? Okay. I mean, it's yeah, amazing. probably. Right. But. So, yeah, but also, right... One, the ripple effect of the first handball leads to the handball <gasps> in the game. Mind blown. Right? Because if you don't have that, you could well possibly have Ireland playing against Ghana and that would have stopped the second heartbreak of the, the handball, which again worked in the favour of the handball-y. Unless, like, Shane Long did the same thing. Well, it wouldn't. Yeah, it would have been nice to see him have the opportunity. <laughs> but that would have been. I mean, God, that would have been, been such an amazing game. So that's quarter final, and then the semi finals, Netherlands. You're probably not going to win that. So no, you would have, would have got to a semi final. Possibly was that the game when Van Bronckhorst hit that rocket in off the post? Yeah, yeah, screaming. That 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 World Cup. There was only like three players who could kick the ball properly. It was like Forlan, which I think would have and... that would have suited Ireland. I think. Yeah. Yeah, like you know, hit those long diagonals. Yeah. You know, a bit of disruption there. Walters. Get around it. Walters. Walters just hold it up. Clattering yeah. into fullbacks. With, exactly, yeah, man. Exactly. Right, Ruben, loved it. Uh, we are going to do another podcast. We're going to be previewing Arsenal Man City, the ripple effect going into this big game, the ripple effects on the way out, depending on who could win it. Um, if you've enjoyed this podcast, then please, 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 please follow. Click the buttons that you need to click to allow this podcast to be a success. And that way we can get wonderful people like Ruben Pinder on the podcast. And that's clearly what we all want, right? Um, Thank you so much for listening. Check out all the other podcasts that we've got on here. A lot of them are very evergreen. Have a great day, week, morning or evening. And we'll speak to you soon. 